Thank you for listening to the Following Films podcast. Today I'm joined by writer-director Keone Waxman to talk about his latest film, The Ravine. In The Ravine, when an unspeakable crime rocks a peaceful community, family and friends are left to wonder if they overlooked the murderer among them, or if there might be more to the story. The Ravine will be available in theaters and on demand and digital on May 6th. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, how are you today? Good, how about yourself? Doing really well, really well. Thank you so much for the taking the time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it. I do too. And I just the first thing that I was struck by uh by your film when I was watching this, it's um a movie that I would never have expected to be as relatable as it is, not for the oh, specific events in it. Um, I hope that nobody goes through the exact uh, plot motions of this movie, but the interactions of family and community are, I think, really approachable and relatable to pretty much anybody. And I'm wondering if that was something that you were considering, because this feels very much grounded in a reality that feels familiar to me. You know, it's great that you say that, because um, going back a little bit about how the film came about, you know, I adapted this from a novel, and the novel was written by uh, Robert and Kelly Pascuzzi, and they wrote this because this incident, this traumatic incident that sets everything off, happened to them and years ago. And they wrote the novel not necessarily because they wanted to chronicle it or to dramatize it. They wrote it because they, they didn't know how to how to heal. And it was tearing mm. them apart, the guilt and the questions and the, you know, the the, uh, the lack of, of, of feeling like things are, you know, up is, da- up is down and down is up. And so they went down this process of writing this novel and creating these characters, Mitch and Carolyn, who were them, um, in order to really sort out and suss out what happened. So I read this book and I thought, oh, this is a great thriller. This could be really great material for, you know, a, a whodunit kind of thing. But then when I met with them, I realized, you know, they are still in the process of healing and they're, you know, very powerful in, 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 in the sense of they're succeeding and they want, now wanted to make it into a movie. And so after meeting with them, I realized, okay, you know what, this is something where this isn't a whodunit. This is a why done it. And it's a why done it because it's more about the collateral damage that happens for something like this than rather the exciting incident. Of course, it's there and that's the dramatic engine of the movie. But really, it became about what happens to the people who survive. And so the thriller became less about, you know, solving it and solving, you know, who did it. It became more about why would somebody do this? And I think that's where you're sensing it's grounded in family because that's what was important to them. And it's grounded in sort of the, you know, the overall sort of trust that you get when, you know, you you turn around and, and, and what you thought was solid isn't there anymore. It was a lack of trust, I guess. So I think it really is grounded in family and it's grounded in, the, you know, these feelings of, of something that we can all relate to. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the distinction that you're making there between those two questions is just night and day. Because what is a question that you ask, the what happened? When you answer that, that, that can be an interesting story, but it can be fairly empty calories. It could be, you know, a good twist, mm-hmm. a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. That could be a fun ride, but then it's done. When you ask why, you really get down to that deeper, sort of um, more existential question that you're getting to, which I think that that's what the this film is playing that, which is a far deeper, more rich environment to play in. Yeah, you know, it's an internal it's an internal crisis, but it has to be an external conflict, right? So the external conflict mm-hmm. is really our genre, but the internal yeah. crisis is the is what what you're feeling, and I think that that's why Eric and Terry and Peter are, are three leads. 
they really bit, you know, bit into it because they're really able to kind of, you know, feel what was going on, even though what they're doing is dramatizing a plot. You know, really the plot was being, you know, was, was instead of the plot driving the characters, usually the characters are driving the plot in this. And it doesn't, you know, I don't want it to sound like it's so far off and different, but at the same time, I, I you know, I do think that, it, you know, you, you spend a little more time liking or at least analyzing who these people are than you normally do in, in the thriller. Well, if you think about the opening shot of this movie and what immediately follows it, um, mm-hmm. you know, the you have the, the hook right away, this thing, this the inciting incident, this moment that could be the fulcrum of the whole story here that everything spins out from this moment, but then... It's the the why immediately that's being asked, you know, and, and all these people that are left in the wake of this that you're going into, and it's not the typical um, way that this would happen, where you feel a story that just kind of goes. You have the title card, the four years earlier, six months earlier, that kind of thing, where you're building out in a way, and it's all these surrounding characters that are filling in those blanks right away, and I find that just a much more interesting version of that. And I, I was just wondering, I, I think that this film though is something that it looks great. Um, it sounds fantastic. The, the score here is really good. I think you, the, the sound mix is phenomenal in this movie. I was able to, um, I, despite despite watching it at home, I did watch it because I have children. I watched it with noise canceling headphones, and I actually it was, it was a really beautiful uh, sound design here. But this is really a performance piece above and beyond all else. That I think your your casting here is really the the secret to the why the film works. Uh, you know, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, you know, Eric was, you know, was perfect for it. And, you know, he not only did he understand when he read, you know, read the script, he understood that this is something that you want to make it, as you said right off the bat, you want to make it more of an experience for others. You don't want to make it a personal, you know, it's not just a personal uh, uh, story, right? It's a personal mm-hmm. issue, but it's a bigger story that everyone needs to be able to understand, which is usually different, right? Usually, you know, the, the good guy is, is put in, you know, or the good, you know, whoever your, your lead is, your heroine or your, or your hero, is put in a twist and they have to figure it out and the audience goes, oh, I hope nothing bad happens to them. Well, in this, it's more like, okay, something bad happens to them. <laughs> now, <laughs> now I hope something worse doesn't happen to them. I hope they find their way out. So there's a yeah. – and Eric is really able to understand that. And the other thing is he's so understated. You know, he, he really gave this great understated performance where I watched it and be like, wow, there was like hardly anything going on that I thought we were doing <laughs> it. And then I'm watching it and I'm like, wow, that is so nuanced. That's great. So, you know, all power to him. I think he did a phenomenal job. Flip side is you have Terry. And, you know, when I sat down with her and I said, listen, you know, you're probably going to have one day on set where you're not crying. <laughs> the rest the rest of the movie, you're, you're pretty, you know, you're, you're pretty yeah. intense. And she just said, look, I, I can handle it. She said, it's out of my comfort zone. She said, look, give me some things. If I'm laughing, I'm in it still. That's just how I feel. And she's such a pro. And she really was just able to, if you look at it, you know, you, you feel for her the entire movie. You know, and then you have Peter who, you know, he read it and he just said, look, I just want to make sure that, you know, Danny, our antagonist. I just want to make sure people, you know, kind of understand why he's doing what he's doing. Not that that to justify what he's doing, but I want people to not see him as just, you know, twirling a mustache bad guy. And again, there's nothing wrong with, I do a lot of action movies. There's nothing wrong with doing a straightforward genre approach. But this was something that, you know, struck me as, okay, this could be a little bit different. And I think all three of them felt the same. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. I, and steeped in genre fare. I love that stuff. I, you know, things that other people call dirty pleasures, those are some of my favorite things. But sure. I also have room in my heart for things that have, um, a little bit more on their minds. And, and it's mm-hmm. okay to have both of those. And I think that it's very clear here, um, that you're giving the audience a little bit more room. Um, when you're doing genre stuff is you, you, 
don't leave a lot to the imagination a lot of the time for the audience. You're yeah, you not have projecting yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And here, I think you're allowed to emotionally project yourself. You're given that room in those nuanced performances to really, um, I guess, being the narcissist that I am, kind of project this <laughs> through my own eyes and feel their feeling, if that makes sense. It absolutely does because again, that's from the base material from from reading the book. I just I, I just remember reading the novel, going, "This is this is someone's process," and the process yeah. is kind of what made it pop to me when I read it. So I thought, okay, you know, if you can keep the process, that feeling at least alive in the movie. A lot of it was setting it in New Orleans, where you actually have such a you know rich textural place to have it. You know, um, uh, you know, not just that, but also the music, like you mentioned, the score, and our, our composer, our Amin Jawani. You know, he's He's he does these incredibly big scores. He does Marvel movies. He did Game of Thrones. You know, um, you know. Sometimes you 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 know you hear cannons in his work, and he watched it. And he just says, you know, let me just do this. It was during the pandemic, and he came up with this these themes that are I think elevate the movie, but also really counterpoint the different songs we have because we go you know span like a twenty thirty you know year process. The music has right. to reflect those times. And so his score is like that, that through line while we're jumping around with some of the songs. So, you know, again, I think uh, a lot of that you're, you're unable to normally do is what I'm getting at. Oh, absolutely. And the, all these things are just elevating the material where you're, you know, the setting, the, the, where you place this, it just adds so much to the, I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I can usually gauge kind of what a film costs or what it took to make this. But with this, you're like, I have no clue. And, and that's a compliment to the film because I could assume I, I, this is a fairly small budget, that. but it feels like you're punching above your weight class for sure. That's great to hear because I mean, from you know being able to photograph New Orleans in, in such a in such a way to you know some That's of the, some of the action that we did, you know, um, and just some of the locations. You know, I've shot in New Orleans once before, 15 years ago. So a lot changed since mm. then. But New Orleans is that place that changes every day, but it's always the same, right? And so going back there, I was able to come go to some of these locations that I wanted to shoot in before, and you know the Mississippi's there, and it's amazing. And so you sit there and you go, okay, all of these different things are, uh, you know, they're um, epic. You know what I mean? In, in sort of their their scale, and if you can capture it, great. It makes the movie look bigger. And then you also have that ravine, which you know we went all the way up to St. Francisville to shoot at. And there's just nothing you know more uh, humbling than standing at the edge of that something like that. That shot with uh, the big drone shot with uh, uh, you know with Joanna standing there and you know looking out at everyone. Leslie Uggams, you know, face as she comes from goes from a little girl back to her age, and she's looking at it. We pull back. I mean, it, to me, that that sort of encompasses the the sort of the scope of the film, and it, and I think it helps helps make the film look bigger than it you know than we than we were than like you said <laughs> punching above our weight. Well, it's it's one of those things where those little tools like a drone has added something that made things feel so much bigger because I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s. I mean, I was born in the 70s, but really I became aware of film and started watching it in the 80s. And so if you had a helicopter shot going over that, that was the only way to pull that off. And that's something that was reserved for the the big boys. That was yeah. something you would only see in certain levels of film. And now exactly. if you're doing it right, I mean, you have a good operator and a good DP working together and doing that because there's plenty of bad drone photography in film still. So it's yeah. not necessarily it's a cure-all. You have to do it the right way, and it has to be emotionally resonant. It has to be story-based, and I think you're absolutely right. that it, it, You could really synthesize the film and boil it down to that moment, show that that one moment outside of the context of the film, and I think people would emotionally kind of get where the film was headed or what you were trying to get at through that one moment. Yeah, I, I think 
I, I appreciate you saying that because I, I think so. You know, I was going to add one other thing to, you know, what yeah, makes please. breaks any shot, but a drone, drone shot is the time of day. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just people forget you put the camera up and suddenly the light's on the right place. You know, but if you wait to the right time of the day when the sun is setting or the sun is rising, it suddenly looks a lot different. Right. So, yep. I mean, I just think a lot of those, all of those elementary things now, like you said, used to be really difficult because you're in a big, you know, you're in a, in a helicopter with a big gyro head and you're trying to make that thing look good and not rattle around. And these days, like you said, there's an awful lot of bad drone oper- operators, but there's, <laughs> there's a handful of good ones. And it, it oh, makes yeah. a huge difference, you know. It, it almost feels like we're at the point in the, I guess late seventies, early eighties with Steadicam operators with that totally. where you would first see where you would see, you know, something like the shining, um, where you would see the Steadicam work in that and then you think, okay, this is changed and then you would still see really bad Steadicam for probably about the next ten years or so. Now it's leveled and I feel like we're at that same point with drone photography right now. I, I think that's a good analogy for sure. Because I think <laughs> that people go, Oh, new tool and then they don't know how to use it properly and then once they figure out how to use it then suddenly it disappears and it just becomes another you know, another brush in the in the quiver. You know? Yep, I mean, absolutely. You, 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 you know, use it for the right, you know, the right tool for the right job. But well, I, I do is, think that, um, you know, New Orleans, it, it's hard to photograph New Orleans that. <laughs> um, I've, I've seen enough films to, to know that it definitely will help you, but you can still make yeah. a, a really beautiful location look bad. I mean, it, yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a million different ways that you could photograph that city, and you're doing it in a way it doesn't feel like we're – I don't know, I guess, like, the tropey way of doing it. You are putting your own approach to shooting it. It doesn't feel like this is you're going to the, through the stock footage of New Orleans. It does feel like it's your right. side on that. That's really important. That's great. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I'm glad you noticed it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and above all else, though, you've made a movie, which is a rare one that I put on something that I'm enjoying, that my wife will walk into the room, sit down next to me, and start watching it with me and be interested in it. And something that mm-hmm. we'll both engage in, and then something that at the same time I could say, you know what, this is something I could recommend to my mom. This is something that right. if my 11 year old walks in, I could watch this with him. There's themes here that conversations that we should absolutely we should be engaging in that would be spun out of this type of a film, and I think he would still get something out of this. But it's but it's never it doesn't speak down to or insult anybody. You made something that I think really you could a lot of people will find. Um, Joy is the wrong word for this film because it's not an e- it's not an easy set. It's not a comfortable movie to watch. But um, but I had a great time with this film and really did enjoy the experience. And it's one that I can easily recommend to oh, friends and family. So really yeah, really excited for it. Oh, thank you. And you know, and just on the note about you know uh, you know you can watch it with your parents. You can watch it with your your kids. You know, the, the idea is that instead of making it so look that just blew up, it something blew up. What? And that's, I think, what what is you know again is imbued in the film is just you know it, it 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 people hopefully will watch it and then they'll say oh hey you don't want to see that again or I want to talk about it and if you have a discussion that's great then you know then we succeeded because that's really where the book came from. Yeah, and I, I feel like I it's not often that I see a film that I actually want to go back and find the source material where it came from where it's I I love reading but it's usually I feel like the um, the film contains the experience if you see it first of reading a book and going into that, but I feel like it would be richer now for having these characters, kind of their voices in my, in my mind and um, having them acted out as I read the book. So I, I do want to go and find this this material at this point. Oh, that's this. great. So that's good to hear. I, yeah, I want to spend some more time in this world, man. So well done. This is a, a great little film. I really enjoyed it. I really appreciate it, Christopher. Absolutely. But I know we uh, – 
we have to break here, but I just, uh, congratulations on the film and I'm, I'm wishing nothing but the best of luck with it. Cause this is, I think there's a definite need for more films like this. So please keep yeah. up the good work, man. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And thanks for all the questions and, and, and all the, you know, all the comments here. It's great. Oh, wonderful. All right. Enjoy your day. Thanks, man. You too. Bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope